We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready for the final shot of the third quarter. It's Kemba. Fire it You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. Now broadcasting with your host, Richie and Spencer. Welcome back, BuzzBeat listeners, Queen City Hoops readers, and Hornets fans. This is our 25th episode, the quarter century mark of BuzzBeat Radio. For our new audience on Dash Radio, BuzzBeat is a Charlotte Hornets show where you will get in-depth analysis about everything surrounding the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. If you're an NBA fan, and especially if you're a Hornets fan, stick with us. I know you'll like what we have to offer. The Almighty Baller Radio Network, the home of BuzzBeat Radio, is extremely excited about our new partnership with Dash Radio. Thanks to all those listeners that have been with us from the jump. Make sure you're engaging with us on Twitter, providing any feedback about the show that you have, and please recruit your friends to listen as well. Tonight, we continue our NBA draft coverage in this show and are joined by a good friend of the show that I will introduce shortly. In this episode, we're going to discuss six prospects in depth. All prospects, the Hornets should fall around the Hornets range, either in the first round or the second round. We're going to discuss the NBA draft combine and the Tuesday night draft lottery. If you haven't already, please go check out our draft page on queencityhoops.com. Uh, titled Coach Percy Draft Profiles. So far, we have published profiles for Jared Allen, OG Ananobi, Zach Collins, Frank, bear with me, listeners, Natilakina. <laughs> Richie can say that real well, and, and I'm sure he'll do it the some point. The T is silent. The, the T is silent. Oh, gosh. I, see, I'm so American. I just, I can't. If I see it, I'm going to read it, you know? And then the final profile we have is Dennis Smith Jr. All right, so let's check in on Richie. Handles Randall, my amazing co-host. Richie, what's happening? Not a whole lot. I feel like I'm like the guy on the spelling bee when they ask for like the pronunciation guide. Like that's my role here when it comes to draft prospects. <laughs> I have I don't really know a whole lot about them, but I can pronounce their names very well. So maybe I should be reading the Hornets draft pick when it comes to draft night. But yeah, haven't been up to a whole lot lately. Uh, definitely enjoying this 80 degree weather that we've been having here in Charlotte. Uh, excited about our guest tonight. Excited about some draft talk. Even though uh, I'm a little bit unprepared for tonight, 
I know that we weren't originally supposed to record our show tonight, but uh, Spencer texted me this morning asking if we can hop on, and I guess I had no option, so here we are with our 25th episode of Buzz Beat. Uh, but luckily, we have you, Spencer, and we have our, our very knowledgeable guest tonight who knows a lot about this draft stuff, so very excited about that. Well, there you go, listeners. See, Richie has some sass, and he just showed it to you. He just called me out on, on live on the show. Well, not live, but on the show here. Don't edit that out, Richie. Keep that in there. I like it. <laughs> uh, I text Richie this morning. I was like, look, we need to do this tonight. He's like, ah, I'm not going to be ready. I was like, well, get ready. I'm going to send you the script in about 10 minutes <laughs> and, and be prepared to rock this out. So here we are, and it's going to be a good show. Um, and joining us once again, really good friend of the show. We're going to have him on even more. We've had him on a handful of times. I don't, I don't even know what the number is now. But ACCSports.com specialist uh, and also a member of Sports Channel 8 team that has a lot of good stuff out there. Brian Geisinger, BG, what's new? Not too much, man. Hanging in there. It's a bit of a, It's been a bit of a basketball overload recently with the uh, – some of these decisions and the, the combine leading up to the draft, the actual draft and, and the playoffs going on too. It's a lot of moving parts, but um, I'm good if, if you don't, you know, it's the best time of the year if you like this stuff, in my opinion. And you're, I'm, I'm willing to live with uh, the, the lack of sleep and stuff like that. I guess there are fewer later Western Conference games these days in the playoffs, which is, which is better. Uh, those Warriors and some of those other 1030 starts were kind of nuking me when I got to get up at uh, seven the next day, but no, I'm hanging in there. I'm good. And I'm happy to be back on with you guys. And, uh, I don't know about the very knowledgeable description, uh, that, that was used to, to preface my introduction here, nah, but I do, I do appreciate it. And, uh, it really, it's, it's good to be back on with you guys. And I must say too, if you do hear a dog barking in the background, uh, I am dog sitting right now. I'm currently the number seven dog sitter in the greater Raleigh Durham area. So, you know, I'm, uh, if you do hear a dog barking, it's just, uh, it's just Mona trying to get some hot bark takes in in the the podcast here too. But uh, I'm good, man. I'm happy to be back on with you guys too. That that's awesome, man. And definitely fill you with those 10:30 starts, uh, especially during the first round. I mean, the West Coast ones. I, I just I can't make it past the first quarter. I'm lucky if I get that far. But it's nice, you know. Here in the second round, uh, we've got you know, and, and especially now it's nice because, well, I didn't enjoy the Cleveland series sweep. And no, no one was surprised by the Golden State series sweep. But now we have two series left, and it's just you know one night after another, and, and all tips are at eight o'clock, which is super manageable. So that's nice. All right, so let's jump in. And if the dog has a hot take, then please encourage that dog to, to speak up. We'll do. Um, we'll do. There's going to be plenty of hot takes flying around in this episode. I'm confident <laughs> of that. Um, all right, so <clears throat> we're going to talk a lot of draft tonight, and we're going to start with the NBA draft combine that is going on late this week. You're going to be listening to this episode um, probably early next week, as early as Sunday, but probably next week. So this will all be really recap for most of the listeners. But going on right now in Chicago, and today was the first day, is the NBA Draft, draft Combine. I always get really excited about this event, although I know it has not reached its full potential because so many guys sit out every year and, and the agents really drive this process. What the question I want to present first, and Richie, I know you've got some thoughts on this because I know we've discussed it a little bit in the past. What is? How do you fix the draft combine? Let's start there, and that's not how I had this thing ordered in the script, but I, I want to start there because I think that would propel us the best into this conversation. Do you have any ideas that could fix the fact that nobody shows up to the draft combine? At least the guys not projected to go top ten, and the guys that are really projected in the first round, very few of them will take place in the five on five. Uh, you know, games, drills during the combine, which was added just two years ago, and I think is the best part 
is there something that you can that you can fix this combine? Is there, is there a way to fix it? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's something I can point to to fix it because when you look at the combine, is there really much to gain by participating in the combine? As you can see, that these top prospects, definitely like in the top ten, you know, early lottery, they're not participating because they know that there's nothing really to gain from it. You know, I think that people look at this combine and they see some of these drills that they put these players through. And do they say, okay, does this really translate over to the basketball court? You know, some of these crazy drills that they have them running through cones and stuff like that. I mean, I get quickness and lateral quickness like that. But, like, I feel like there's more to be gained to be watching them from their college days and and how they played and competed on that level rather than the combine. I don't think there's much to gain. So if if I am someone trying to fix the combine to make sure that the other players, those top players, actually participate – I, I sat here and thought about this, but I, I don't know if there's exactly an answer to this. Maybe Brian has an answer, but I don't think there's a lot a whole lot to gain. I think that the most you can gain is those people that are at the end of the first round, the beginning of the second round, and they're trying to improve their draft stock. But as far as the top players, I don't see where they can improve. Brian, any any quick ideas of anything you've ever thought about that could maybe put it into all these guys backing out of the draft combine at least when it comes to the five on five stuff uh i wish uh, i'm i gotta be honest i think i'm kind of in a similar boat here you know for the for these lottery lottery guys the top 10 guys there's just no real opportunity cost associated with not participating and it, and it is you know and if you do participate and you know you get hurt or you don't perform well or you don't measure well grade out well whatever then then it becomes an actual liability the only way i think you could actually entice guys to everyone to show up for this would be to find some way to actually compensate them financially. But I don't think that's really a feasible option. Can you do that? Especially because, well, I, don't, I think it's tough because some of the guys in this draft are still technically amateurs, right? There, yeah. There's guys like Frank Jackson and Tony Bradley that have technically not hired agents yet. So like that those guys could not accept money because they're, you know, they're, they're still quote unquote amateurs or whatever, you know, as nebulous of a term as that is. Right. So yeah, I think it's tough. I, I think the only way you could actually entice these guys to do it would be to find a way to, to compensate them financially. But I don't think that's feasible or possible. And even so, you know, what's the what's the even what's the starting number and what's the number that even works financially to get guys in like that? So yeah, I, I gotta say, I, there's nothing off the top of my head other than finding some way to to pay them. But man, I, I just don't think there's that's really uh, that's really like a legitimate possibility, though. Unfortunately. Yeah, I I agree. The, the financial part, I don't think you can really, you can't solve that down to a number. But you know, one idea, and Draft Express had tweeted this. Uh, I think it was Jonathan Genovia, Draft Express, the other day had tweeted this that maybe you incentivize being in the green room on draft night by showing up to the combine. And obviously, mm-hmm. that's important for the guys in the lottery because most of those guys are going to be in the green room. I thought that was interesting because it's not tied in with you know, a direct monetary value. But if you got to show up to the draft combine to make your way into the green room, well, you know, I think, I think that's a big deal because that's that, and that's FaceTime, right? Like that's branding. I mean, if right. you ask, if you, if you have ask LeVar Ball, if that's a big deal. He's definitely going to say, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, I think that's a great idea, but yeah, I don't know the answer, but it is frustrating because I think the scouts and the GMs and the fans um, in the league, the, the league should want this this NBA draft combine to be a big deal because I think it's kind of your – you have the playoffs going on, and that's great. 
but I think it almost it almost represents like the first step of NBA summer, which is really exciting because you have the draft and you have free agency, and I always get pumped about summer, especially when you're pulling for a mid market team that always needs summer to. <laughs> it's the only way for them to get better, right? Um, you know, through the draft and hopefully through free agency. But yeah, I, I thought that was a good idea. Outside of that, I don't really have any any great ideas, but. Wanted to wanted to toss that question around. So that leads us to kind of the next uh, the next topic here with the combine. In everyone's opinion, and let's start with you, Brian. What's the mo- the one thing that you look for in the combine that really moves the needle for you when you look at these prospects? First thing is that's important is to not not overreact to anything you see in this. Uh, I think for the most part, it's a you know it's a small sample event. It's a couple days in Chicago, and, and I just don't want to take. I don't want to use what happens over the course of a couple of days to just pigeonhole guys into certain, oh, that guy's definitely not a first-round pick or whatever. Use it as one data point. I think if you're if, – I'm trying to look at this from the from someone who's analyzing it, not necessarily participating in it. It's just one data point. It, it, it's up there with, with what you saw them do in college or abroad. It's what they end up doing in these individual workouts with teams. So I think take it for what it is, but don't overreact to anything that happens in it. And, and that's something I, Durant talked about. This was kind of a, a buzzworthy topic recently. Durant talked about this. It was either today or yesterday with ESPN where he was basically saying, you know, I, people were laughing at me in 2007 because I couldn't bench press 185, but, you know, I could get buckets on everybody. And he was kind of advocating for, for guys not even to attend. And I, I'm not with him on that. But I, I do think there is some kind of notion to the point of no matter what happens here, like, just because guy, a guy measures his hand is a half inch, you know, less wide than you thought it was going to be, doesn't mean that dude can't ball. You know what I mean? So just take it, take it for what it is, and um, and I and I would I try not to overreact to any point, any part of it. And then really, I think it's cool, uh, a serious tool for for two different types of players. One, which are the kind of borderline first round talent guys that that Richie was hitting on a second ago. These kind of more marginally talented guys that can maybe play their way into the first round. And then I also really like it for uh, for college guys that want the opportunity to come in, get feedback, get worked out for 96, 72 hours, and then take the knowledge they learned and then go back to their to their college team and put that to use next year. You saw that happen uh, this last 12 months with Justin Jackson. Uh, he came back a new player after this process last year. Now you know he's a fringe lottery pick. So I think mm-hmm. for for for, some, for for two groups of players, it can be really really beneficial. And and you can see guys move stock up down or at least get useful feedback. And, and again, so outside of that though, I, I wish I could wish I could have seen more of the five on five stuff. The other stuff that does matter a little bit, you know, it, it is kind of interesting when you see the the heights and wingspans. Those numbers come out, and you get mm-hmm. to really see so tall or how long some dudes are. And, it, and it's kind of funny to see. I, I mean, I can remember the first time I experienced this was it was in two thousand five with UNC. And I remember it was Sean May and Rashad McCants. Both those guys were, were coming out after their junior year. And, you know, Rashad McCants had been listening at 6'4 his entire time at UNC, and he gets measured at 6'2. And Sean May's been 6'9 his entire time at UNC. He gets measured at 6'7 or whatever. So I, I do think that stuff's kind of useful because it, it gives you maybe a better idea of where guys might fit positionally. But, uh, but yeah, that would be my, my thing, is, is just seeing how these two guys that are in these two groups, how they can benefit from it. And, and again, just using it as another data point along, you know, uh, a process where there's a lot of stuff happening really in a really short, compact period of time. Yeah, and we will um, <clears throat> we're going to talk about some measurements uh, that came out um, today, the first day of the combine. Some were very impressive about some prospects that we have talked about 
um, before on this show. Richie, when you look for one thing in the NBA Draft Combine, and maybe this is the year that the first year you've really paid attention to the NBA Draft Combine because you write for Queen City Hoops now and uh, and you do Buzzbeat Radio, and so that you're one of the prerequisites for that is to be into the NBA Draft. So you're growing. So what do you look for here? <laughs> I didn't know that was true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, you do. You you know that's true. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes, I, I love the Draft Combine. No, I mean to be honest. The important things that I think that GMs should look for are the measurables and how big of a competitor a player is. I think all the other stuff I wouldn't put too much stock into. Like Brian was talking about, it's just another data point. You know, I'm a teacher, so we, we test these kids all year long. And some of these teachers freak out when a, when, a, when a kid performs badly on a test. But all the other data points tell tell us that he's doing well or she's doing well. So... It's one thing to look at in the grand scheme of thing. I think that the measurables, like we talked about, the the, the vertical jumps, the, the wingspans, the bench presses, I think that can give you a lot of information about a player. But again, like Kevin Durant said, and I, Brian, you don't agree with him, but I, I do agree with him. I, I think that there's nothing to gain from these guys coming to the combine. And if Kevin Durant can't bench press whatever it is that they're trying to have him bench press, but you put a ball in his hands and he can play basketball, I mean, you, you see what he's doing this year and you see what he's done throughout his career. I would take Kevin Durant all day, even if he can't bench press as, as much as some of the other players could. So I guess the most important thing to look for during the combine is, is how well a person competes. I think that competitiveness, especially when it comes to the five-on-five scrimmages, and I don't really know how how competitive those scrimmages really are, uh, because I think obviously the the competing at a high level on the college level is more of an indicator of how well they'll compete. But really, there's not much stock that I'd like to take away from that combine. I agree with you 100%, Richie, talking about you you get to see, especially with these five-on-five drills, which again, are only uh, two years into existence now, you get to see how guys really compete. And you get to see what their body language is in the court. You get to see how they talk to their teammates on the court. You just get to see what, again, what kind of competitors they are. And I, to me, that's the most important aspect of all this. Um, and it's disappointing again that more guys choose not to choose not to get out there and play. I wish we could develop some kind of system that that, that penalizes these guys um, for not getting out there and competing. You know, because that that's that's what you're about to do. You're about to compete on the highest level. Uh, in the game, and I understand this draft combine is about, you know, playing to, you know, making sure you play to your strengths. Every single prospect wants to treat it like their NFL pro day, but that's not what, how it works. And, and the NBA is going to have to figure out a way to, to level the playing field for all these prospects and make them get in there together. Um, because not only is it fair, but it also helps the health of the league because it helps these teams make better, well-educated draft picks. And I think that's the most important aspect. So I don't know what the answer is of how you improve it. But for the guys that have the guts to go out there and not listen to some agent who's, who's just getting a cut and a percentage by all this, they go out there and they compete. They should be rewarded with something. Uh, and the ones that don't decide to do it shouldn't be. And that might be an old school approach, but I, that's what I believe. You, this is what you're about to do, right? You're going to compete on the biggest level. So get out there and play. So I agree with you, Richie. I, I think the guys that get out there compete, talk get on the floor for loose balls, little stuff like that. I think that uh, if I'm a GM, I'm saying I'm figuring out a way to get that guy. If it's not on draft night, I'm signing him to a contract and inviting him to training camp. So all these guys are doing themselves a favor to get out there and play hard uh, during uh, during the combine. What, what I would add real quickly, too, is what might be interesting is just 
if one guy, if one of these top five guys does decide to do it, like more guys might then decide to do it. I think at this point now it's tough because it's like if you do participate in it and you are projected to be a top 10 pick, well then, oh, am I, am I, am I branding myself as a not top seven pick or whatever? You know what I mean? Because if, if I am, if I am that good, that why in fact am I playing in why am I why am I playing in the five on five of this or whatever? But it could take one guy. It's like if 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 Fultz if Markel Fultz decided to play this year, maybe Lonzo Ball and Josh Jackson do too. You know what I mean? Like maybe it just takes one guy to say yes. But right. um, yep. but it might be that that might be tough to to do just because of you know the way perception works with with the with this event now. It's almost like the dunk contest where none of these high exactly. highly yep. touted stars want to yep. participate. Good call. But you're right, Brian. It does only take one guy to kind of change the course, uh, you know, of, of future years. Yeah, I, I don't know. But, but the NBA, they need to talk about this more. I, I don't know. I just feel like I wish it was more of a talking point amongst GMs, excuse me, in front offices and, and what have you to really f- figure out how we fix this. Because I think it's more important than it gets uh, than it gets credit for. And it doesn't get talked about enough until we get right at the NBA Combine. Hey guys, I'm Sean Darenthal, host of O to Own the NBA Draft podcast. On Tuesday, May 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, the fate of franchises and players alike will become a little clearer as the top three picks in the upcoming draft are decided at the NBA Draft Lottery. I'm lucky enough to join Cole Zwicker and Javier Pasqueda, great hosts for another NBA Draft podcast, What's on Draft, for a live interactive stream of commentary and questions Tuesday night as the lottery itself unfolds. Please join us then and follow us on Twitter at What's on Draft Pod and Ode to Odin for more information and a link to the stream. Now back to your show. All right, so we're going to get to some prospects. We got six that we're really going to dig in deep on. But before we go there, while we're on the combine topic, I just wanted to talk about a few of the measurements today. We can get into them a little bit if we want to. We're going to talk about this guy a little later, uh, OG Ananobi. So, he had a, a rumored wingspan of being six or seven six, which I don't know that I ever completely bought into. It's but a garage door, dude, like that's a garage door. You that's know what I mean? ridiculous <laughs> for a guy that's not even six eight. I mean, it's just yeah. unbelievable. So today he measured; he was six seven, uh, just over six seven in height, in shoes, two hundred thirty two pounds, with a seven two. 0.25 wingspan, which is far below the rumored, uh, quote-unquote, unofficial 7.6 wingspan. I think that really changes the way that, that scouts, front offices, probably end up looking at him. And that might be a little fickle, but the reality is that a 7.6 wingspan on a 6.7 frame would have been absolutely ridiculous. And with the way he moves and his quick feet, and again, we're going to talk about all that later, that would have really, that 7.6 wingspan really would have altered his stock. Not going to be so. The most impressive measurement, I think, all day, and I don't think he's one of the six prospects that we're going to talk about, so maybe we should spend a few minutes right now discussing this because I know we've talked about him, us three, on this show before. Donovan Mitchell. My man. 6'3". Yeah, listen to this. 6'3 in shoes he measured today, which wasn't shocking, but that's that's, that's what De'Aaron Fox was. That's really good for a point guard, I think. 211 pounds. Get ready for this. 6'10 wingspan. 6'10. That is scary considering his athleticism. Brian. It puts Rondo to shame. Like, that's better. Like, everyone's. We've been talking for 10 years about Rajon Rondo's wingspan. And this is. He's 6'9 and Mitchell's 6'10. It's amazing. It, it is. It is amazing. Uh, I was really surprised 
when I saw that because most guys with incredible wingspans, you can kind of – and Richie, you, you kind of – you figured this out. You mentioned this a few episodes ago. You can kind of just tell because it just – their arms are just – weirdly long looking yeah um I, I didn't really see that from mitchell I, I guess i was focused more on his athleticism and his quickness and, and all his intangibles from an athletic standpoint that he possesses i didn't see the wingspans part you did and it was confirmed today i can't remember what i predicted but i, I think i said like six eight to six ten wingspan and i think that we did get caught up in his athleticism and and that kind of took over more than his wingspan but this six ten wingspan Again, he gained a lot from this because he is an undersized two, a player that can either be an undersized two or maybe a point guard. But this wingspan allows him to, or at least in the GM's eyes, you know, guard multiple positions, guard the one and the two. And we've seen his athleticism top five in this draft. He can get up and that makes up for his height. Uh, But also this wingspan will make up for the fact that he can now alter shots for players that are a little bit taller than he is. And he is like all of the fast twitch, fat, fast twitch muscle fiber. Like, and the, the guy can just fly. And I checked the Draft Express mock draft today, and he's moved up the boards. He's at twelve now uh, to the Pistons. Yeah, he is. Like immediately as soon as his measurements came out, Draft Express moved him into the lottery, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, I'm just gonna run down kind of the rest of these the notable measurements that I would say came out today. Zach Collins, who has been linked to the Hornets. Probably more than any other guy out there um, on all mock drafts. He measured over seven feet in shoes, just over a seven foot seven one wingspan. So nothing crazy there. Two hundred thirty two pounds, but it's good that he measured over seven feet in shoes. That's certainly um, a, a solid point there to, to note. Harry Giles measured with the largest hands of any player at the combine. He's also two hundred thirty two pounds. 6'10 in shoes, about 7'3.25 wingspan. I'd say a little bit disappointing. He doesn't have incredible length from side to side, but we're going to talk more about him. Jared Allen, another projected lottery pick that we've talked about some. 6'10.25 in shoes, 234 pounds, set just over a 7'5 wingspan, which is pretty impressive. TJ Leaf, we've just we've uh, talked about him. This was a little disappointing, I would say. He, he was 6'9 uh, and three quarters in shoes, 6'11 wingspan. Not not super surprising, but I, I think a lot of scouts, GMs, front offices would have hoped that was going to be a little bit more impressive. Um, so he's a guy who's that's going to it's going to bring his defensive potential into question. Uh, Wesley Awandu, we've talked about him, probably a second round guy right now, but certainly could uh, could sneak up into the first round. Exactly what we kind of thought about him rang true today during the measurements. He measured 6'6 six, six and three quarters in shoes, 7'1 wingspan. Very, very impressive. Uh, and that was kind of already out there of what he'd measured before. So that remained consistent. A lot of things were surprising, not exactly what, what these guys had measured uh, a year ago, two years ago in the Nike Hoop Summit, what have you, uh, but 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 some also consistent in Awandu's case. Okay. Let's jump into some of these prospects that we want to talk about in depth, and I'm going to start. And the guy we're going to start with is OG Ananobi. Uh, Ananobi was hurt very early in conference play. He played at Indiana. Um, He was hurt very early in conference play last year. Here's a guy who we have a very, very small sample size on. Um, and, And again, you know, going back to a minute ago, he was rumored to have a 7'6 wingspan. Obviously came out today that it's just barely over 7'2", much different than the rumor. 
a guy that I think could could almost switch across five positions defensively on the next level. Very quick feet, extremely athletic. Um, you know, has the knee injury that that he is going to raise some questions. Um, but it's it's his first serious injury, so I think you have confidence that he can, he can bounce back and be the full athlete that he was at one time. Um, great straight line driver, incredible dunker. He can do it all defensively. He's got quick feet. Again, he can switch across all positions. Um, he plays with good effort. Off the ball, he floats a little bit. Um, I think he's he's got to improve as a team defender, seeing the ball, seeing his man. Um, but offensively is where the real question mark is for Ananobi. Brian, I know you've watched this guy, and I want to say you've probably seen him live, maybe maybe in Durham. Uh, I can't remember. I know you've talked about this, but what are, what are your thoughts on Ananobi in terms of a prospect? How high can he climb? I think he's the most intriguing athlete and versatile athlete when it comes to guys being discussed in the top 20. Um, and that's debatable, but what do you see in him and how far he can potentially climb as the draft approaches? Uh, you got to hit on it a second ago. I, I love guys in the NBA now. It, it, you don't want to make the Draymond Green comparison because that guy's too good, and, and, and it's, just, it's contrite to say, the, oh, the Big Ten guy that can switch across a bunch of positions is this guy. But uh, you just you can't have enough, in my opinion, in the NBA now, you, like, you can't have enough shooters, and you can't have enough guys that can guard multiple positions. And if this is a, a dude that can really guard legitimately – the one through four, that, that's huge. And for a defensive team, uh, having guys that can switch and you know you, you don't lose your rebounding, you can play big, small at the same time, like that's just tremendous. Um, I'm still impressed with the, the seven plus two wingspan. I was never really buying the seven, six hype. Um, maybe that was just me. I, I saw a lot of BJ Anya down here and everyone said he had like a seven whatever wingspan at NC State. I don't think it was actually ever quite that close. So, so I assumed uh, OG was was similar. I, I like this guy a lot. Athletically, I, he might be – I mean, he's maybe the most gifted guy in the entire class. And uh, I have unfortunately have not seen this guy live. And, you know, we missed a lot of his action this, this sophomore year. But uh, I'm interested. He's a guy that I certainly think the Hornets should target around their uh, their draft range. I know – Draft Express has him closer to the the bottom end of the lottery. I think around fourteen or fifteen. But um, I'm interested in guys that can play and guard and defend multiple positions. I, again, I just don't think you can have enough of those guys. And you know, he's not he's not just a complete. He's not just a. a, a I think there are questions on, you know, on offense, especially because we haven't seen him play a ton. But you know, his shooting isn't terrible. He isn't. You know, he's not like an under thirty percent three point shooter. And some of his measurables, some of his other stats are pretty good. He shot 77% on cuts this year, 77% on the po- out of the post. Now, again, that's on you know a dozen or so attempts just because he, di- he didn't play all that much. But I think this is a guy that, again, you can get out in transition and, and guard multiple positions. I- I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by him, to say the least. I'm, v- I'm very intrigued by him. Um, you know, I, I believe – here's a guy that – I'm not sure what he'll ever become offensively. And I think Hornets have, with MKG, are kind of learning this lesson a little bit the hard way right now. But his floor is a lot, it's very high, if that makes sense. Like, I think his ceiling and how high that is, I think there's a lot of guys out there that, a lot of scouts, GMs, front offices that would say, I I think his ceiling is extremely high, like all-star high. But that's not the point. I think we all know he's a really good player. The point is his floor is also very high. Like he's not going to be a complete bust that completely drops out of the NBA. I don't think like 
at his worst, I think he's an Andre Roberson. You know, a guy who can be just a stopper. You right. can put him you can put him in the corner and hope he develops a jumper on the offensive end and just turns into a three and D guy. But he's not but that's the point. He's not just a three and D guy. Like he's a three and potentially lock down any position I need to and play and be my uh, be my small ball center, you know, when and not feel like I'm losing anything defensively. Um, so that's the intriguing aspect about Ananobi, and it's just such a small sample size. But what you see, man, if you, if listeners, if you have not gone and checked out some of the film on this guy, please do. He's an incredible athlete, and the knee injury, the the rumored ACL tear um, early in his sophomore campaign definitely hurt. But defensively, he's got it all. He's got everything in the toolbox. If he develops anything offensively, he's going to be a great player in the NBA. Richie, anything out of this guy that you see that maybe we haven't mentioned or really that catches your eye? No, I mean, it's a good point about having him in, having him a high floor, low ceiling type of player, like meaning you know what you're going to get out of this guy. So he might not have the highest of ceilings. It might not be a seven foot six ceiling, might be a seven foot two ceiling. But <laughs> this guy definitely brings it on the defensive end. He's athletic. And uh, you know, there's nothing really to. I mean, the seven foot two wingspan is is nothing to laugh at. I mean, that's that's still impressive to me. He just needs to improve on the offensive end, improve his shooting stroke. I know that he actually took a dip, if I'm not mistaken, from his freshman year to his sophomore year when it comes behind the arc. So uh, we don't want to see that trend. We want to see it on the upward trend. But you guys hit all the points. Defensive player, you know what you're going to get out of him. The offensive game is where we need to see the most improvement. Yeah, you're right, Richie. I'm glad you mentioned that. A serious dip. He almost actually shot like 45% from behind the arc his freshman year, which everybody knew was way too good to be true. And it was a very small sample size. you know. And then he came back in, I don't know, 15 games maybe during his sophomore campaign before he got injured and shot about 31% from behind the arc. So there, there's a huge mystery there about how good of a shooter he is, especially when you stretch him out to the NBA three-point line. Um, but, but I just think that if he works out well, and, and I don't even know that he'll be healthy enough to go through pre-draft workouts for team, for individual teams, he's not healthy enough to play on five-on-fives at the Combine, although he is there measuring. But if he is healthy enough to work out and he works out well, I, I really not would not be surprised to see this guy go top 10. I mean, he's he's that he, he has that kind of potential. So it'll be interesting to see with Ananobi. Okay, the second guy I had that I wanted to dig into and speak, and talk about is Harry Giles. You know, I, I watch a lot of ACC basketball, uh, like you, Brian. Um, but you're, you're right up next to it, covering the games live. You know, Giles, and we've talked about it before on the show, he's a guy who has battled injuries. It, it, it looked like it was going to derail his freshman season at Duke. I wouldn't say that it ended up derailing it, um, but it certainly hurt, especially early in his campaign. He was a lot better at the end of the year. He got a lot of very important minutes. It's Duke was very thin in the front court. Um, here's an athlete still trying to trust his body uh, from the from the knee injury to me. I, I see a guy who's very explosive in moments, but he runs and he moves kind of still like he's just like he's just a little tentative. I feel like he's holding something back from from what we saw in high school. And Brian will be able to add more to this, but he's got a really he's got great feet. He's got great defensive instincts with his hands and reacts quickly to almost everything. He's an elite rebounder. 5.4 offensive rebounds per 40 minutes, which is just absolutely off the charts. Um, versatile, modern-day NBA center that can switch, not like Ananobi across all positions or even four positions, but can def- you can definitely 
live with him switching on a point guard, I think, and feeling good about him being able to, to stick with him and, and make life, t- life tough. Um, offensively, I mean, that's, again, like Ananobi, that is where the question will be answered of what is his ultimate potential. Uh, reminds me a little bit of a Clint Capella kind of player when you yep. watched how he played at Duke last year. But then you see Brian like how he played in high school, and here's a guy who showed a pretty elite straight line drive ability to, to finish with with power, and that was it, it, for Team USA in the under 18s. Um, and then showed a jump shot. I mean, was stretching it all the way to the three point line. We did not see that at all uh, at Duke, and I'm not super surprised because they needed him to play center. They were thin in the front court. They needed him in the restricted area, you know, down in the paint. So he just, you know, like Carl Anthony Towns at Kentucky, he just wasn't going to be used in that way. But I'm just not so sure in like two or three years we're not going to see that out of Giles. Not we're, You know, we're going to see this offensive game, and everybody was like, wait, what? This this guy could do that all along? So I'm super intrigued. I, I definitely believe he could end up being a lottery pick when it's all said and done. And – Chad Ford is pretty uh, convinced that the Hornets are going to be hot on the trail for Harry Giles um, when push comes to shove. So, Brian, mm-hmm. you've been close to Giles. Your thoughts? He's he's really interesting just because you saw him play, and he only played uh, 26 games this year, and you know only about I mean only what about 12 12 minutes a game or whatever. I mean he he rarely could play give you more than. 15 minutes. I think he only played above 20 minutes one time this year. Yeah, it was against Boston College back in January. Uh, you played 24 minutes, played pretty well actually. But you can you can kind of see it in burst. He had those three games up in Brooklyn uh, and on in, on three straight days against Louisville, North Carolina, Notre Dame, all of whom have really good top 25 teams that have NBA talent along the front court. And he was, I mean, he was absolutely uh, he was dominant in those games. And um, yeah, in, in the victory over the Tar Heels, he had a block rate of 19%. Like he he has the ability to, to be a rim protector and to be uh, an excellent rebounder. I didn't see much of the jump shot this year. And along those lines, it was kind of tough to watch him at times just because he was wearing this huge knee brace. And, you know, you could just, you know, I felt bad for him a lot too because you know how good this guy is. He should, at full health, maybe be the best player on this court that also has other lottery picks like Jason Tatum or Justin Jackson or Donovan Mitchell or whatever. And he just couldn't quite dial it up. And so he'd get pulled out and then you'd have to see him sit on the bench and tug at the knee brace. And it was like, man, I just, I feel so bad for this guy. I just wanted to be able to play 30 minutes in a game, run full speed. I think for a team like the Hornets, it's interesting because Hornets, as we've talked before, you know, they need, they need good, young, talented players and, and right now, Charlotte's in the in the kind of the the, the not so enviable ta- enviable task of being on the treadmill of the NBA, as they like to call it, of always drafting in the middle of the first round and never being able to get into the lottery or the high, upper end of the lottery and get one of these these blue chip guys. And Giles would be their that ticket of that. But man, I just don't know if you can trust him just because he was so he was so frail this year. The only my only thought would be if you could draft him and then you just go Ben Simmons style and just sit him for a year. You know what I mean, and you just you just let him get healthy, and unless he unless he is one hundred percent, then you you let him play. But if he's if he's eighty eighty five, man, we just hold off. We 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 just let him sit. We we've got him for four years under contract at a you know at a cheap rate. So we'll just we'll we'll take this first year and let him let him heal up. So I, I'm interested by Giles. I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of a jump shot this year, but I, I did like what I saw in a small sample as a role guy 
as an offensive rebounder and as a cutter. And he actually put up pretty good numbers. Uh, he shot 89% on, on, on cuts this season. And again, wow. that's with a ridiculously small sample. But of ACC players that use at least 20 possessions via cut, that's number one in the ACC this year. So I, I like some of what Giles has, but the health concerns, it's a huge red flag. I'm excited for him that he's still, you know, he's, he's not going to fall out of the first round because I think that would just be, it was just not fair to see this guy's body failing him like this. But, um, you know, I would be leery of taking him in that top 10 range, though. I think that is a, that is a little early, but, and, you know, maybe you got, maybe you got to take a gamble. And this is a guy that a year ago we thought would be the number one pick. If you can get him at 11, that's value. So uh, we'll see. I, I'm excited to see what Giles does this year, but I am concerned uh, health-wise with him. Yeah, Richie, anything about Giles that, uh, that you've noted here? I mean, you guys have, have touched upon all the aspects of this guy. He does scare me. I, th- I think this is one guy that I, I would completely stay away from, and I would not be surprised if he actually dropped down the draft boards. His, his, his injury scares me. His injury really does scare me. And like Brian was saying, he's frail, and he needs to improve his jump shot. In an in a NBA game that's kind of transitioning towards a you know pace and space type of game and a guy that doesn't really have a true jump shot, He's uh, going to be your typical five that is pretty much locked into that position. And his athleticism is kind of questionable at this point because of his knees. So this is a guy that while he had great potential coming out of high school, I don't know, he just scares me. He scares me a lot, and I would not want the Hornets to draft him you know, whatsoever. Yeah, c- completely understandable uh, there. I, I, I think he's going to actually climb. You and I are different side of the fences there I, I just get a feeling that you know he was the number one high school prospect for a reason and he showed enough flashes late last season to get him into the first round but but time will tell here Richie I want to go to your prospects next uh, and I know you you dug really deep on these so I'm excited about them so tell me what we got all right the first guy junior from SMU Jimmy Ojale. Uh, another guy that I have to look up his pronunciation for. But, uh, yeah, I actually had SMU in my final four, and I always have a team that I try to pick uh, that's kind of like a surprise pick, and, and uh, this team just uh, didn't do it for me this year. I picked them because I thought they had, you know, a good ability to play on both ends of the court. But, anyways, let's get to uh, Ojale. He's a six foot seven power forward uh, guy that you just look at, and he's built, he's jacked, uh, whatever you want to call it, ripped, 235 pounds, very physical type of player. And it allows him to withstand a lot of contact at the rim. You know, he, he's definitely a power forward in my eyes. But if he were to go up against centers, he can kind of exploit uh, the mismatches in that situation because he's he's still still kind of fairly quick for his size. And again, he's two thirty five and, and can withstand some contact at the rim. So he definitely has that muscle uh, ability to outmuscle some fives at the rim. I think that one of his biggest strengths is his versatility. He can play multiple positions. I think they have him listed as a combo forward, 3-4. I think that he probably is better suited to play the four to kind of create those mismatches. I think he does actually play better outside in than inside out, but I think he can go either way. Um, I think at, at times you will see him on the inside of perimeter, but I think a lot of times he'll be at that high post area. Regardless, this guy's a face-up player. I think he would fit perfectly in a system where you're looking for a stretch four. Uh, he can create off, create off the dribble. Definitely has shown the ability to shoot from downtown. He shot 43% from threes, and it's not like he was just taking two a game. He was two, uh, averaging about two of five uh, per game from behind the arc. I think the weaknesses after looking at it, the uh, some of the things that I've read up on him, 
and some of the uh, videos that I've watched on him. He's not a good rebounder, and I think that is partly due to his uh, wingspan. Uh, he's a six-seven guy, but he's, he has a smaller wingspan for most power forwards, so he's going to have to rely a lot on his strength to get those rebounds, which, I mean, what you teach, you know, you got to box out. It doesn't really matter about the, the height or the length, per se, but he does not do a good job of rebounding for or a power forward. He actually did better on the offensive end, where he averaged... 3.2 offensive rebounds per 40 minutes, and I think it was only like five uh, on the defensive end. So, you know, Brian, you said this earlier, you, know, you don't want to make these comparisons to this guy, but to me, out of all the all, all the prospects in the draft, I, I compare him to a Draymond Green. You know, <laughs> SMU used him a lot in these drag screens up, up top, and he would pop out to the top of the key where he'd be open a lot for that three, and again, he showed that ability to knock it down. So this guy definitely intrigues me. I don't think he's going to be someone that we're going to draft at 11. If we do maybe trade back, uh, it's definitely there's value there, but he won't last to the second either. So it's kind of one of those things where we're talking about this guy, but he's not really going to be available at any of the picks that we currently have. Yeah, Brian, you you had mentioned uh, before we started the show, you really like Ojale. What, what, what do you like the most about this prospect? Uh, I'm interested in him as, as an isolation scorer. Uh, this is this is kind of crazy. Ojale shot 53% out of isolation this year, turned it over only 10% of the time, uh, scored better than 1.2 points per possession in isolation. Out of in NCAA Division I basketball, that ranks number three. And it wasn't on like 12 or 15 possessions. This is damn near 60 isolation possessions. Um, I, I like guys that can go get buckets. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy in the NBA that, you know, like, like it was in the AAC where you – you can you can clear out, let him go to work or whatever. But I do like guys who, when the ball is swung, they can make a play. These these kind of secondary creators and scorers, guys that fit the guys that fit along someone like Kemba Walker or whatever. Who you know he runs a pick and roll defense, bends it, it swung back to the other side. There's a brush screen, and then that guy goes to work uh, on the weak side of the court. So I'm intrigued by that. And again, as I said, I won't repeat myself here, but or I, I don't I don't want to repeat myself here, but again. Like I was kind of saying, uh, guys that can defend multiple positions, played a couple slots, and I, and I like guys that can fit that three and a half mold, but that that can play the four. You just can't have enough of those guys that can space the court and and make plays, and and, uh, and I like that. And him, although, like Richie said, the rebounding is a little problematic though too. Yeah, well, it certainly seems like Ojale can can shoot the ball. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's not in question, and I think that will become more showcased in the NBA. Uh, Brian, that's a great point about as, as a secondary score, you know, whether or not he's out there with, with a first unit or is he just a guy that, you know, gives you a shot in the arm offensively with the second unit and the same token is a guy <laughs> defensively you feel comfortable with in a few different positions. So Richie, you're right. I mean, the natural comparison is, especially with the way the game is played today is Draymond Green to me strong. You know, you could see him playing some super small by five on the next level, I mean, that's just, no, he won't be Draymond Green, at least we don't think so, but that is the natural comparison. Um, certainly a really interesting prospect, and one of those guys that, as the draft approaches, you could see really flying up a draft board. Um, and I think that would be totally totally fair because of all the different things he can do and all the different ways he can impact the basketball games, right. a basketball game on both ends of the floor. So... Mm-hmm. You know, a real intriguing prospect. Richie, the second guy that you targeted. All right, I'll quickly go through this guy. He is more of a second-round uh, player. I He might 
He might climb up to late first. Uh, we actually had a guest on last show, Oliver Peroni, and he was talking about this guy and a piece that he did on him, and that's kind of why I uh, targeted this guy and kind of researched a little bit more about this guy. Like Ojale, he's a very versatile forward. Uh, this is Dylan Brooks uh, Jr. out of Oregon. 6'7 guy. He's not as built and ripped as Ojale, only 215. And I think what, what is holding a ba- him back is his measurables. He's not as lanky and as strong as you would want uh, for a guy that is a, a, a small forward slash power forward type of player. Um, I do think that will kind of hold him back and drop him into the second round. He actually only has a six foot five wingspan, which is crazy. I mean, he's uh, he's six foot seven, but with a six foot five wingspan from everything that I've read. And I read up on his piece, Maroney's um, piece on Brooks, and it was talking about how he was positionless and rolleless, meaning from everything that I've gathered from the piece, this guy will just do whatever it takes uh, for the team. He's a he's a competitor. I think he made a you know several game sh- game winning shots this year. He's just willing to do whatever it takes to get it done. Um, he doesn't care about the individual stats. He just cares about the team. So definitely seems like a guy that would you know you should take a chance on in the second round. A guy that's going to come in and compete and and he brings you a lot of versatility as a combo forward. He's not as good as Ojale, and obviously. He has those comparisons with Draymond Green, but I think it's a little bit different. I think that uh, he does a lot of things, you know, well, but nothing really outstanding. So uh, I don't know what you guys think about this guy, but obviously he's probably going to be a second round pick. Yeah, Brooks remind Brooks reminds me of almost like a Denzel, Denzel Valentine type of player, and yeah, <clears throat> maybe not as good of a ball handler, and it is a not as good of, a, of an initiator of the offense as Valentine is or was. We'll see what he ends up being. Uh, wasn't wasn't very good in Chicago last year, but but Brooks is he's just that kind of guy. He wants the ball at the end of games. He's a shot maker, um, like you said, Richie. He he'll kind of do whatever it takes to win. Uh, he's just that kind of player, and he is versatile. Um, you know, defensively, I don't know where he fits. You know, even offensively, for that matter. I mean, if he's not playing with the ball in his hands a lot, I, I don't I don't really know where he fits either. Um, how you how you squeeze him into the flow of a game, um, mm. but he but he's just a good guy to have on the roster because he does give you that, and maybe not right away, but maybe he does. There's a guy at the end of a game, or with the second unit, you know, in a, in a clutch situation, or, or a guy who could play with the first unit off the bench, you know, that will go get you a bucket, and you need those guys, and and, and to me, that's really Dylan Brooks. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I wish he was just like a little bit better shooter of a catch and shoot guy. Like if he was a little bit better than that, I'd, there'd be I, you could see a maybe a more conventional route uh, to a role for him. But I mean, the guy's just good. Like he can just play. Like you said, he, he gets buckets. He played for a team that won a ton of games, the, the ton of postseason success the last two years. He, he's clearly got toughness, and he he did it in a, in a great. You know, the Pac-12 was a great conference the last two years too. Um, what I will say too, kind of just a quick sidebar, it is kind of fun how a couple years ago, if a guy was like this between a three and a four or whatever, we were like, oh, there's no room for him in the NBA. But just with kind of the proliferation of small ball and guys like Draymond Green becoming a thing, we love tweeners now, which is kind of a fun thing that we, we get to have. We love guys that can, that can kind of play multiple positions as opposed to being kind of pigeonholed into a three or a four or a five or a two or whatever. So I think that's kind of cool too. Yeah, it used to be such a negative, right, Brian? And now it's kind of like we want the tweener. We want the versatility. We want the guys that we're, re- we're really not sure exactly what position they play because at the end of the games, everybody's trying to play small ball with, without anybody with a position. So I mean, it's kind of funny how it's how it's turned. 
it's changed, and that's that's seriously within the last four or five years. That's like since Draymond was drafted in 2012. I mean, I can even remember when Carmelo was coming out of Syracuse in 2003, and people being like, "Well, I don't know what position Carmelo plays in the NBA." Um, and it's just it's kind of funny now. We we care less about that, and we just want guys that can defend a couple positions and, and, and pass and shoot. And, we, and I, I like, I'm, I kind of worship at that throne of basketball. So I, I, I kind of, I approve of that transition. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um, all right, Brian, well, let's move on to the two guys that you can. Um, right. So go ahead and give us the first one. All right, cool. We'll start off with uh, my more highly regarded guy. Uh, this is, a, uh, I saw him play the, the majority of his games up close this season. Uh, Duke's Luke Kennard. Uh, didn't measure great today at the combine. I, I wasn't really that surprised. I, I saw he checked in at about six four and a half. I, I think Duke listed him at six five six six. So it's not totally surprising. I mean, I'm I'm a little under six two, so I I didn't think Luke Kennard was six six to be honest with you. So I wasn't uh, totally surprised with that. But this guy's just an awesome shooter, and and, and I'm not saying in the in the like the Steve Novak oh just stick him in the corner and you know let him catch the ball every every five possessions and he'll space the floor or whatever, or even in the, the kind of Ryan Anderson, I mean, that's positionally different, but this guy moves without the ball so darn well, and he doesn't have to shoot it just off the catch. Um, Kennard in pick and roll this year shot 44%, better than 1.1 points per possession. That's number eight nationally in division one. Uh, maybe, you know, not on as many possessions as someone like Dennis Smith, but the guy, he can put it on the deck off off a screen and, and go get you a bucket. Only turn the ball over 8.2% of the time as a ball handler or pick and roll, too. Um, and another guy, too, I think I, I worry about him a little bit at the rim because he's not super long. He's not super athletic. I think he knows angles and stuff, and that, that'll help him a little bit. But also this, too. He shot 53% on runners this season. That was and scored better than 1.1 points per possession. Number six in all of Division One basketball this year, too. And then I, I, the thing I was always a big fan of him this year is it, what he does out of dribble handoffs. It's a big part of Duke's offense. They like they would throw the ball into Mill Jefferson in the middle of the court, and without kind of a conventional point guard this year, they'd set up the offense by having Kennard run off a screen and then run off a handoff with, with Jefferson and either hit a little hit mid-range or put it on the deck and, and dribble in and get his floater or hit Jefferson on a pass because he, he can create for others a little bit too. But he shot 48%. Out of uh, out of handoffs and scored almost 1.2 points per possession on handoffs, which was number two in Division One basketball and number one number one amongst Power Five conference players. So I just think of him in an NBA offense. I mean, think about with 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 teams doing with uh with split action. I mean, what this guy could do off the ball um, as a cutter and then using that to run into handoffs and running off screens. I just I, I think. He, he makes so much sense. And uh, people this year were asking me, you know, do you think Kennard could play in the NBA? And I was like, man, I think the Hornets second unit could use him tonight. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wish he was playing in the game against <laughs> because they could yeah. use, because because if not, it's just going to be Bellinelli doing his, you know, two-handed punt. I, I like Marco, but it's going to be a lot of Bellinelli doing two-handed pump fakes and shooting, you know, fadeaways and stuff. So I, he slumped a little bit over the final six games of the season, but here's what a slump looked like for him this past year. This was the final six games of the year. 17 points per game, 2.2 assists, 38% three-pointers, and 90% from the foul line. He also drew almost five fouls per 40 minutes, according to Ken Palm, too. Like, the guy, the guy plays to contact. He's not afraid of contact. 
he was almost a 50, 40, 90 guy this year, which is like unheard of in, in power five. And I mean, just division one basketball, like no one ever does that. It, it hasn't happened in, in a while. So I think there are some concerns with him, perhaps defensively and conditioning, but man, this guy, I, I think he's a smart basketball player and that shooting, like you just can't have, you can't have enough shooters and he just, he never stops moving. And he's just not a standstill guy. Like he can put it on the deck and, and make some stuff happen. I think there are I think there are concerns with him, but I think he's I think he has a chance to be to be a good NBA player in you know a starting two guard or, or maybe just like a bench like a guy that comes in and scores off the bench. But uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I, so I think here's what I think. I think in the 2017 draft, I'm gonna die on the hill of stay away from Luke Kennard and stay away from Laurie Markkinen. Those are the two guys that just <laughs> Made me su- made me super nervous, um, and it has nothing to do with her skin color. But oh. I, I, yeah, it has nothing. Hey, I'm white too, Richie. Come on. Um, look, I, <laughs> I think that Kennard. I'm more nervous about my prediction with Kennard than I am with Markin, and I really think Markin to stay away. But look, I agree with everything you said, Brian, and I think the guy can score, and I think he's going to put pressure on defenses in the NBA. You know, I, I do believe that, but I think his lack of strength is a concern on, on the offensive end. I think his, his measurables and, and that proved to be true today are a concern. You know, can he get his shot off as consistently in the NBA w- with, you know, his, his back down moves, his, his dribble moves, kind of how he got himself into position to get his shot off, you know, and a lot of it was the ball's in his hands a lot, you know, Brian, I mean, like he yeah. really initiated the offense for Duke. He's not going to have that luxury in the NBA. He's going to have to play off the ball a lot. You know, he's not bad off the ball, but, but how good is he? Uh, mm-hmm. And it, will it make up for all of the, you know, physical uh, negatives that I think that, that might haunt him in the end, in my opinion. And then on the other side of the ball, defensively, I'm not quite sure where you put Kennard. Like, I, I think he's going to be a putrid defender. He wasn't a good defender at Duke. And I, in the NBA, I just think that's going to be almost impossible to hide. So a lot of his value to me is how good can he be offensively. If that's really damn good and come in off the bench in like his second or third year and score 12 points a game, right? 12 to 15 points a game, then he'll find a place in the NBA. But I'm not sure that's going to be the case. And where I just can't get on board with Kennard is I just really don't think he's ever going to be even a, an average NBA defender. And I think he's going to be so hard to hide. And that's where that, that's just into, that's what scares me off in the end. Duke, Duke had trouble with dribble penetration this year, and he was certainly culpable for uh, for some of that. He was not he's not a lockdown defender by any stretch of the imagination. That's for sure. You know, he's not. So he got beat off. He, he doesn't get in a great stance. He doesn't have quick feet. He gets beat off the dribble. And on top of that, you know, I just think, I mean, what position does he defend in the league, right? Like, I guess he could defend twos, but that really exposes him off the dribble. And then if he's got to defend threes, well, now he's going to be undersized and he's going to get back down. So, I, again, it's just that – it's just I don't know where you put him. I don't know where you hide him. And – um and that really scares me away. But, Rich, you were going to say something. No, I just have a quick question before Brian goes on to his uh, his second prospect. And I haven't watched a lot of this guy, so this is probably might seem like a dumb question. But can you make the comparison? It might be too convenient of a comparison because he's lefty and he's white. Can you make the comparison to Ginobili? 
and can he make blocks from behind too as well like he like like Ginobili. but um is that a, is that a bad comparison or is that just um too convenient because he's I, left-handed i don't yeah i mean i don't think that's a, i mean i see why you say that i don't mean production i, mean I just great. mean style yeah I don't, brian let me get your thoughts because i'm actually gonna i'm actually gonna look up what manu's I'm going to look up what his what his measurements were at that age. So I want to get your thoughts on that one. That's interesting. I think, I think Manu's a little bit bigger. I'll, I'll be curious to see when you pull these up. But I thought I kind of assumed Manu was you know a legit six six uh, somewhere in that range. I, I could be I could be wrong about that. I don't think I don't think Kennard quite has the like playmaking verve that that Ginobili possesses. But but as I was kind of saying when I was ranting and raving uh, a couple minutes ago, I. I think he's he's not again he's not just a standstill guy so he does have some he does have some he does have a little bit of uh, off the bounce juice but I don't think it's quite along the lines of uh, of Ginobili maybe he's somewhere between and again this is <laughs> not exactly going uh, going too far with this comparison but almost someone between somewhere between like a like a Redick Rip Hamilton type and and Ginobili you know what I mean as a guy that moves off the ball like that but can do some things off the bounce with the left hand too, but uh, that it's it's tough to to, to kind of uh, peg where he lands there. Yeah, yeah. So Manu is he is a legit six six. I, I think his measurements are not comparable to Canards. They're just they're just better any way you look at them. Um, you know, Manu's deceptively athletic though, and he yeah. was like in in his prime. That guy was the way he moved, and he was kind of almost glided across the floor opposed to hopped. You know, and got off his feet really quickly. But that guy was really athletic, and he could lock you up defensively, and he could dunk on you de- like offensively. I don't see that in Kennard um, at all. But th- the guy that Kennard actually measures exactly, like almost identically, like, and it's <laughs> it's kind of scary because it's an ex Duke guy, but it's JJ Redick. Yeah, um, it's actually yeah. the guy he measures almost identical to. Yeah, um, but he's not the same player as JJ Redick, and that was kind of the point I was trying to make a minute ago. Is I mean, JJ is an absolute wizard moving off the basketball, and he bends mm-hmm. defenses without the ball in his hands as well as anybody in the NBA, not named Steph Curry. You know, so I, I don't. That's my question with Kennard. It's like to me, that's what you have to do, Luke Kennard, to really be productive in this league because you're not initiating anyone's offense you're not playing point guard for an NBA team so like I just don't I think you're a defensive liability and then on the other side I'm just not confident enough in your ability to play off the ball to be a difference maker look I like Kennard's game I loved watching him so I hope I'm wrong but there's a lot of things that make me nervous and and Brian you remember this and Richie you remember this I said I thought Kennard should have come back to school next year but not only that I thought he should have been a four-year guy at Duke. And, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and, and like Justin Jackson, I think it would have ended up benefiting him because I just think he has so long to go. I think he needs to get stronger. I think he needs to work on his agility and his athleticism. This, to me, the decision he's made to enter the draft now is a mistake. He might get drafted in the first round, but you talk about a guy who I could really see flaming out and not being in the NBA. It's, it's Luke Kennard, and I'm going to listen to this in five years and be like, wow, can I <laughs> wipe this off the interwebs? <laughs> But, or, uh, or when he's like the director of basketball operations in 2021 at Duke, you'll be vindicated. Like one of the two, you know what I mean? Like it, it'll, be, it'll be one of the two, Some, nowhere in between, you know what I mean? If he's if he's the Dobo at Duke in 2021, <laughs> this will be my – yeah, this will be like on my Twitter homepage or something. So um, 
Yeah. All right. So your second prospect. That was good. That was a good combo there. Your second yeah. prospect, Brian. All right. Second prospect. This is the guy we talked about a little bit a couple months ago. And, uh, and, and maybe I shouldn't even be the one speaking to him because, Spencer, I know you have maybe a little more uh, intimate knowledge on him from a couple of years ago in high school ball. But uh, Devin Robinson, who was a small forward from Florida, you know, last time I, when, I was in the po- uh, when I was on this podcast a few weeks ago, when we were talking about Charlotte, you know, what they're doing this offseason, limited resources. They have the mid-level. Uh, they don't have any cap space. They have, I think, the biannual exception, too. But – one of the things they do have is they have two top 40 picks. So, like, this team's due to hit on a second-round pick at some point in time, right? I mean, what are the, what are the, what are this, what are the best second-round picks this, this team has had the last decade? Like, Jeff Taylor, Derek Brown? I, I mean, really, for the, for the most part, it's, it's time for them to hit on a second-round pick. And, and I think finding a way to get a 3-and-D guy at that 40 pick would be awesome. And, you know, hopefully, maybe someone like Trevion Graham, uh, whom, you know, Clifford seemed to – not, not really have him in the rotation this year, but heaped a lot of praise on him. They brought it up all the time uh, during Charlotte Hornets broadcast and stuff. So maybe maybe Trevion bumps up to that that kind of three and D spot. But I, I see there being um, you know uh, a role for this somewhere in, in Charlotte's rotation. And this guy just kind of has like the archetypal three and D small forward build. Uh, he spent a lot of the year at Florida playing the four, but that was really with their kind of small ball three guard lineup he was just playing the nominal four he's, he's clearly a three in the nba i think he measured six seven today um but what i like about him according to synergy he took 149 jump shots this season only 16 percent of those came from the mid-range over 55 percent of his jump shots were three pointers and he shot 33 percent on those three pointers which is pretty good and about i think 3.1 attempts per game which that's not a ton but that's that's not nothing i mean that's a, that's a decent amount uh, especially for a, you know, a team that was about 70 possessions per game, too. So uh, that's not a bad number. Uh, on catch and shoots, he shot 39%. And on guarded catch and shoots, he shot 38%, which is, uh, which is pretty good. I like that his three-point shooting got better every year. 26% as a freshman, 34% as a sophomore, 48% in SEC play uh, in 2016, though, and then 39% as a junior. If you watch tape on this guy, you know, you'll see him – uh, Florida will run a pick and roll, a side pick and roll, top of the you know top of the court pick and roll. He'll lift on the weak side or strong side, and they'll they'll swing it to him for a catch and shoot, and he I mean, he'll just bomb him. Uh, he rained a couple of those on on LSU this year. Uh, low low usage guy doesn't turn it over much. You know a usage rate right about twenty percent, which is right you know it's damn near average. Turnover rate of only twelve point two percent. That's a two hundred top two hundred number nationally. Uh, he can't dribble at all. That's kind of like the one problem with him. He, he ran no pick and rolls, no isolation. He can't shoot off the bounce. He doesn't really create well for others. But in this role of 3 and D catch and shoot guy, like I don't care about that. And I think the fact that he can, in fact, drive on the straight line a little bit, and he's capable of, of dunking on guys off the bounce or off a, off a lob or offensive rebound. Like I like that. Like he won't score on just three pointers. He has he has some kind of garbage ways to score points too. Six eleven reach. And uh, he can guard multiple positions. And, you know, you check this out, too. He played 105 games over the last three seasons, over 2,400 minutes. Every year he was at Florida, they finished in the top 15 nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency, including they were number five this year. Steal rate of 2%, block rate of 3%. Both, I love guys that are, are above 2% in both those metrics, and he's, he's right there. And he was one of the better spot-up defenders nationally, uh, like a top 50 guy in defended field goal percentage this year on spot-up possession. So 
I just, I, you know, it seems kind of silly maybe projecting where you're going to draft a guy at 40. You don't even know if they're going to keep the, keep the darn pick if they end up picking around 40, 41, but they could use a three and D guy. This guy's super athletic and, and he can shoot threes and guard positions. I'm, I'm intrigued. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I am intrigued by Devin Robinson. I'm not convinced he's going to stick in the NBA for a few different reasons. Um, you know, watch, watching him in high school was obviously different because he dominated for a lot of reasons. I mean, Devin Robinson was – he's a lot stronger now. He, he's really filled out. He's done a lot to his frame, um, you know, in terms of just putting on more muscle mass. But he was about this tall uh, lengthwise and, and wingspan-wise when he was in high school. It, if, it was, if it was a little shorter or smaller, it wasn't by much. Um, so he dominated on that level. At Florida, he's, he's definitely been up and down. Um, I thought that he had a pretty good season last year, especially on that second side offensively, Brian, which you talked mm-hmm. about. You know, he's a, he's a capable shooter. I see him as like his absolute ceiling would be like a Trevor Ariza type that, to me. He, um, he, he's, the, he's the comparison. Ariza, yeah. I was thinking of Ariza the whole time watching this guy. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean that's his absolute ceiling to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even sure he's has that type of – I don't know if he's got enough offensively to, to quite get to where Ariza has, has gotten in his career. But – I mean, Robinson on the defensive end, I mean, really, really intriguing. I mean, here's a super long, rangy athlete um, who, who moves okay at this point. He can, he can definitely de- develop a better um, you know, feel for his body in terms of coordination and become a better athlete and develop better feet. His feet are a little heavy to me. Um, he doesn't get off the floor like – like, and he didn't in high school. He's never had – incredible uh, ability to get off the floor because you look at him and you're like holy crap this guy is just he must be an incredible athlete he's just built that way you just look at him up close you're like wow um but but he does have a little bit of heavy feet so it'll kind of be interesting to see what kind of strength and conditioning program he gets into in the nba Mm -hmm. and how much trainer is able to get out of his athleticism in his body because he's built like a prototypical you know uh, three, I would say, but but mm-hmm. really probably more in today's NBA, a, a stretch four. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he's intriguing, Brian. I, I think he could make it, but you know I think that there are enough limitations really on both ends uh, that he might not even make it in the NBA. I mm-hmm. would not be upset to see the Hornets uh, spend a second round pick on a guy like this. I would if they do keep the pick though. To your point. I would like to see them spend it more on a guy like Dylan Brooks, who I know can come yeah. in and play right away. You know, I was thinking about this today. It's almost intri- it's interesting for the Hornets because I, I, it's like I wouldn't be upset to see them take a flyer on like a Harry Giles with the 11th pick, knowing he might not be able to play a ton his first year and might almost need some time you know, in Greensboro. Right. And then, yeah. and, and, and then draft a guy like Dylan Brooks in the second round to know – well, we're strapped this summer because we have nine guys making $102 million. To make it to 15 roster spots, it might be that you know, the 15th guy might be um, that second-round pick. So, right. again, it, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him draft somebody with high potential and, the, and with the 11th pick that has to spend time in Greensboro. But then right. with the, the 41st pick or whatever it is, um, there's a guy who's going to contribute in year one. I know that sounds crazy, but I don't think it's inconceivable or inconceivable. No, no I like that. I actually think that's a – I, I like that. I like that thought process. Actually, 
And, and again, I don't mind the draft and stash option with, with Giles, although you know I am a little uh, tentative about selecting him. But I would be getting Brooks around 40, 41. Like, I think that would be – that would be uh, not a heist, but that would be a great pick. I would, I would be really happy with that. Yeah, but he's – you know, he is an intriguing prospect. Um, and, again, you know, to your point, you, you just look at the guy. Just go Google a picture of him. Anybody listening to this right now, Devin Robinson – you look at him, and you're like, how's this guy not a lottery pick? Right. <laughs> and trust me, a few years ago when he committed to Florida and coming out of high school, he really was projected as a lottery pick. And he just really didn't ever flourish. Um, and Florida never became a part of their offense, probably the way that a lot of people thought uh, he was going to. And he had to play around a lot of ball-dominant guards. But but a very interesting prospect, and, and I hope he gets drafted. I really do because yeah. um, he deserves a shot. Um, all right, guys. Well, that was that was really good insight on, on six prospects, and I'm glad we had a chance to dig into. Let's quickly, before we go, let's talk about the NBA draft lottery. It's coming. Um, well, if you're listening to this on a Monday, or maybe you're listening to it on, on the Tuesday, and the draft lottery is tonight for you, but it, the draft lottery is uh, Tuesday night, May the 16th. So, so we're all preparing for that. Looks like the Hornets are going to get the 11th pick, but you never know what's going to happen. They've got a 0.8% chance to get the number one pick in the draft, so that's probably not going to happen. Um, if, if they do get that, then the conversation uh, is going to change really quickly. And then they've got a 2.9% chance to get a top three pick, so a little bit more uh, conceivable, but um, also not likely. So it looks like the Hornets will be drafting that late lottery uh, range. The question I wanted to present to you guys before we go tonight, what is the storyline, and it obviously doesn't have to be a Hornet storyline, that you're looking forward to the most? Because there's a lot of them as this draft lottery approaches Tuesday night. All right, I got it. I got it. Um, The Philadelphia 76ers, uh, they will receive the Lakers pick if the Lakers fall out of the top three. And right now the Lakers, I think, are the third worst record. So if anyone outside the top three jumps L.A., even if it's Philadelphia, then the 76ers will receive their pick. So potentially, the uh, the Philadelphia 76ers could receive a top three pick and a pick that they're owed by the Lakers at the fourth pick. So it's just interesting to see that the 76ers are just stacking up on these these draft picks and these young players with Embiid and Simmons, uh, who hasn't really played. But uh, it's be interesting to see what they will do if they do get the Lakers pick. They could have a you know maybe the third pick and the fourth pick overall in this upcoming draft. Maybe they keep both of them, or maybe they might want to trade one of them away for a more established piece. So to me, that's the biggest storyline. I don't expect the Hornets to get a top three pick. I'm expecting them to fall right at 11. I think that's the obviously the highest percentage. And again, there's nothing in between. We can't get four through 10. It's, it's, not, it's impossible for us to get that pick. Uh, Richie, man, uh, you and I were thinking uh, right along the exact same lines too. The only thing I would add that would add to the the, the hilarity for the Lakers here, if they do lose that 2017 first-round pick, if they lose that, they also lose their 2019 first-round pick. Exactly, uh, to Orlando, right? Right, yeah, yeah. If the, if the LA Lakers convey their first-round pick to <laughs> Philadelphia in 17, then the Lakers will convey their 2019 first-round pick to Orlando. Oh, I did so not like, know that. It's amazing, right? So, like, I don't know if it's <laughs> if it's if it's just because if it's, like, residual. I, I like Kobe, but I couldn't stand Kobe fans. It's like, I'm not sure if it's residual me. I just enjoy seeing the Lakers kind of flounder a little bit. It, maybe the league is more interesting when they're good or whatever. But it would just it would just be so funny, man, to see them lose out on 
on, on two first round picks. Uh, maybe it's cruel to pull for that, but I, I'm, I'm with you, Richie. I think that's the, that has to be the biggest storyline heading into the lottery. Well, I had the same one, Brian. I, I, <laughs> I just, I, I'm like you, I, I'm an East coast guy, you know, grew up here. I am not a Lakers guy to, to be kind. And I would love to see them struggle. Um, <laughs> So I, I'm actually kind of pulling for that scenario to happen. Yeah, they've got, just, they've, <laughs> they've got just, some young talent out there. Let them figure it out. They'll be okay. Right, right. But, uh, I would like, and, and I want to see the Magic. Like, uh, they just seem like a team that is just—they have nothing going for them right now. They have nothing on that roster. They hardly have anything that's tradable. I would like to see them catch a break, but yeah, I never want to see the Lakers catch a break. So I would like to see them give their pick to the 76ers, who are obviously super fun. And then also lose that 2019 pick, and all of a sudden the Lakers only have one first-round pick in the next three years, which is just a great storyline to consider. Yeah, would be ma- um, would be amazing, just absolutely it, amazing. It really would be. So um, really fun stuff. The other thing that I would mention, and just because I, I listen to Bill Simmons a lot, so uh, this is a storyline that I just have to naturally pay attention to. But if somehow the Celtics don't get the number one pick. And uh, and they have to consider drafting Lonzo Ball. I think that's going to be super fun yeah. because I just think that's a disaster waiting to happen. If he if Lonzo Ball is drafting goes to L.A., I, I mean I think that's the best possible fit for him. I think Phoenix would just be like whatever they could probably figure that out. Um, but if he goes to Boston, oh my something God. bad is going to happen because you have to deal with the <laughs> Isaiah Thomas situation. What are yeah. you going to do with him? Um, Levar Ball a, having to come across. <laughs> And Isaiah's a free agent in 2018, too. So you got you to figure that out as well. It's kind of like all the building Danny Age has done. And I just feel like Lonzo Ball is just kind of in the background right now, just waiting to blow all that up. And his father. And I, I actually think that's a really fun scenario, too. Um, so it'll be interesting. Tuesday night is going to spell the fate for years and years to come for a few different NBA franchises, uh, including the Sacramento Kings, who never failed to not be in the middle of disaster. Um, so it should be interesting guys. It, uh, just on a quick note here, it looks like the Spurs are going to close out the Rockets. So after a lot of people are listening to this podcast, uh, you'll have already seen game one likely of Spurs warriors. And it looks like, um, that that should be a fun series. I actually think that the Spurs are going to get a game out of that series. Mm-hmm. Um, but guys, once again, it was a lot of fun, Brian, thank you for coming on real quickly, Brian, let's give you an opportunity Tell folks where they can find you on Twitter. Anything you've been working on that's out there on the interwebs uh, that you want to plug? Uh, well, first of all, thanks again for having me on. Uh, it's, it's super fun to come on. You guys do an awesome job. Uh, find me on Twitter at bguys underscore bird. Although I'm, I'm thinking about changing my Twitter handle sometime soon. So if you guys have any ideas, uh, hit, hit me with them. I'm, I'm, I'm brainstorming right now. Uh, you can find my work at accsports.com at the ACC Analytics tab. And my NBA stuff is at Sports Channel 8. Um, and I, I do uh, what's called the League Pass Lair, which is like a, uh, a periscope uh, NBA stuff. We'll be doing some stuff Friday night. Uh, people probably aren't going to hear that until then. But, uh, yeah, you can catch me at ACC Sports, doing a lot of NBA draft stuff there right now. And uh, NBA at Hornets and NBA stuff at Sports Channel 8. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for coming on, and we will make sure that we have – I mean, you're obviously going to be back on before June 22nd. we got more draft to talk. Uh, Richie, tell everyone where they can find us out there on the go. Yeah, very good. Yeah, you can follow us at BuzzBeat Radio on Twitter. 
Uh, and to download the downloadable version of this, just search in iTunes and Stitcher or your favorite podcasting app, BuzzBeat Radio, and you can find us. Uh, and you can listen to us on the computer or in the car, any way you like to listen to us. So uh, thanks, guys, again for the continued support, and we will see you guys next time. All right, awesome. Well, don't forget that we are BuzzBeat. We are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Um, and until next week, guys, we will see you then. Happy draft season. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.